My name is Brian, and I'll be reading the scripture today. We are reading First um, Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. And uh, I'll be reading out of the Pew Bible, and there are Bibles in the, under the seats in front of you if you want to grab one if you don't have one. Um, I think we've mentioned before that we're, if you don't have a Bible and would like to take one of these home, we're thrilled. Um, take it with our blessing and read it. So First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. In that Pew Bible, it's page 1017. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, the, that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, my faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thank you, Brian. Well, good morning, Bergen Park Church. It is great to see you here. I know a number of you are going to stick around for the, the rock wall. I do have to let you know, I do think there is an age limit on that. And so uh, we'll have to kind of police that. But uh, hey, stick around and, and do support Mike. Uh, Mike, the hot dog guy from... Uh, Home Depot. If you haven't seen him, guy makes some crazy hot dogs, but they're all amazing. Uh, I never thought you could get to a gourmet hot dog, uh, but you can. You can. So, so stick around for that. Uh, also, after the service today, as all of that is going on, we, we also have a new members class. Some of you were here last week and connected to that. Uh, you can jump in this week. It's actually a two-week process. If you haven't signed up, don't worry. Just come on in. We're going to be meeting over here on this side of the building. Again, it's a new members class. We're just kind of talking about how we're structured, uh, the ways that we do things, and kind of who we are and our vision for uh, Bergen Park Church. And so we'd love to have you. Hey, today I get to introduce you to one of my favorite people. Uh, his name is Armstrong Okeo. Armstrong, would you come up? Armstrong is a brother in Christ. I met him in 2000. And 13, in, uh, and it wasn't the United States, it was in Kenya. And with him, we have planned about three mission trips together to Kenya, uh, ministering to students and churches. And today, I have the privilege to introduce you to him. But more than that, in September, October time period, we're looking to plan a short-term mission trip. And so I want him just to capture, just in a brief moment, a little bit about what God's doing in his ministry as he ministers in Nairobi, Kenya to churches, and more to um, college, high school age kids that are learning to disciple, to own their faith, and then to invest that into the community. His vision is amazing. His vision is that through the children, God will change Kenya. And it's through the heart and the love of these children that God is touching lives. And so Armstrong, we're glad to have you here. Uh, would you share with our good people what God is doing? Yeah. Good to see you. Thank you. Yeah. Howdy. Howdy. 
That, that was for Texas. Oh, that's for Texas. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is Colorado. <laughs> uh, okay, let me say the Kenyan one. In Kenya, we say, if I say mambo, you say poa. Mambo? Poa. Good, you should all come to Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm blessed to be here. It's my first time in Colorado. Um, in 1985, my dad was here in Colorado. Actually, he did some skiing somewhere in the mountains. Uh, and uh, so it's good to follow him in his footsteps and uh, be here now for better reasons uh, to, to, to know people, to spend time with you guys. I'm from Kenya. I'm married to my wife, Christine. Um, we call her the Queen of Africa. Yeah. Uh, I tell Kenyans, if, if your husband calls you queen, uh, you're not really the queen. There was only one queen, Christine. And we have six children. We've been very busy. Uh, but uh, only one, one is biological child and five are uh, kids we rescue from the community. Uh, for the last 10 years, I've been rescuing kids from the community that are in crisis situation. And some have grown, are into college. Uh, one is in a missionary. Uh, some are just uh, doing mission work with us in, uh, on, in our ministry. Uh, I work with an organization called PACE Movement. PACE is a Greek New Testament word that means a child servant of the king. Uh, uh, and the ministry is uh, located, uh, the headquarters are in Arlington, Texas. Uh, and that's where I met uh, Jason and his wife, Melissa, um, and uh, in the church. Uh, they hosted us for 10 months as we trained and uh, went back to, in Kenya to launch uh, PACE. Uh, so PACE is a missionary organization that partners with the local church, and uh, we support the local churches in the area of missions, discipleship, and study. We recruit young people whom we send out to the uh, partnering churches, and through the church, they're able to reach the communities uh, we began PACE Kenya in 2014 uh, when we went back to Kenya with my wife, and uh, uh, this is our fourth year anniversary. Uh, and uh, God has been doing amazing work. Uh, we reached schools, uh, students in schools, uh, high schools, uh, uh, elementary schools, and so far we've seen over 8,000 students come to Christ in the last uh, three years. Uh, God has been working through the missionaries. Uh, uh, so we have 18 missionaries currently that uh, serve with me and my wife in Kenya. These are young people that are dedicated and uh, passionate about God. One amazing thing about the missionaries that we have is that um, some of them are actually children and students when I began my missionaries, and we've trained them, and now they have grown up. They're in their uh, 20s. There's one who is 28, and uh, they're now missionaries reaching in the young people of Kenya. Kenya is a country that is... Uh, uh, on paper, it says 81% Christian, uh, but uh, right now the Islamic influence has really grown in our country, uh, and uh, we have more people becoming Muslims. And so we want, with my wife, to reach the young children, because all the challenges we face in Kenya can only be transformed, in my opinion, through Christ. But if Christ can use the, the children to grow up with a different mentality, different understanding of what God can do through them, to change lives. We do, uh, we mobilize children to do missions. Uh, for the last three years, we've mobilized over 900 uh, students and uh, to do missions in their communities. They go to share their faith, they go to show their faith, they go to bring others to faith. We've worked with over 25,000 young people in the last uh, three years. 
It's been amazing to see what God is doing. We also train children workers. We believe if you're going to have strong children and strong teenagers who know Jesus, then the, uh, the training of the workers is very important. So we've been able to train over 600 workers in the last 300, uh, sorry, 300 years, three years, <laughs> three years, uh, who now are better equipped because most people are not having the training, uh, the, the necessary training to work with young people in Kenya. So through the training that I received in Kenya, uh, in the U.S. and uh, in my mission work in the last 16 years, I've been able to partner with so many churches. We've actually trained uh, workers from over 100 churches in Nairobi and uh, pa other parts of Kenya. And that helps us to really have a huge impact in the life of young people. We are looking to raise uh, missionaries in Kenya. My heart is to raise countless of missionaries, 100,000 and above missionaries, so that Kenya can become a strong mission house, a missionary powerhouse in the world, sending, that we can send missionaries to can have more people being transformed for Christ. Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's so much to say about uh, our country, uh, but I'll be hoping if you guys will come in September, we can work together and uh, see more lives transformed, uh, see more children transformed, uh, more uh, people changed. Yeah. Hey, brother. We are glad to have you here. Can I pray for you? Yeah. Is it okay? Yeah. Father, I love this man, and Lord, what I love is the heart that you have placed in him. And Lord, that heart's infectious. It's infectious when we see someone risking and sacrificing for you, someone that loves you so much, Lord, they're willing to pour out their life as a drink offering. And so, Father, I just pray for blessing, um, and I pray that that spirit would also overflow into us, uh, Lord, that this is a mission field as well. There's so many that do not understand the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. They don't know the joy of uh, using their talents and gifts in a way that makes you magnified and causes others to see your glory. So, Father, thank you for this man. Bless him in the work he's doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank, thanks, Uncle Tom. Good to have you here. And one of the trips that I was on with Armstrong, one of the amazing experiences is this, this young man named Joshua. Now, Joshua was one of the guys that you saw in that picture above. And I was talking to him and asked him the question, you know, where did you first get to know Armstrong? And I don't know the age, and so I'm going to get it wrong. But he said, the first time I met Armstrong, I was an orphan. He's probably age seven, eight years old. And as an orphan, he had obviously no parents, but he also had no hope. He had no future. He had no direction. One of the challenges in Kenya is the unemployment rate, certainly among youth, is really, really high. I don't know. It's like 60% in Kenya. And with that comes alcoholism. So if you think the uh, unemployment rate's at 60%, well, the alcoholism rate's around 60%. And so these kids, even if they study hard, if they do the best they can, there's no promise that the talents and the grades that they get are actually going to translate in opportunities in the future. And so to see this young man who is uh, an orphan now have purpose in his life and going out, and we were actually at an orphanage when he was telling me the story, it all connected. And I saw how God had taken someone who had a heart for Jesus, raised them up, given them hope, and now they're going back to the same exact people and sharing that hope with others. Because see, that's what God's about. God's not about just buildings and great music and good speaking. He's about using us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And as disciples, if Jesus is your Lord, 
then he's the one that we follow. He's the one that we pursue. And when we ask him, you know, God, how do you want me to use my time? How do you want me to use the treasures you've given me? The beautiful thing is, you know, he wants us to use our gifts and creativity to discover ways that we magnify him. It's not just in one way. Every one of us have different talents and gifts. But see, as we come together around the same vision, that our job is to reach this community with the gospel and to show them the love and the power of God. God uses us in ways, and you know what? All the challenges that you're dealing with right now, you find when you get on mission, when you get connected to what God is doing, that's when he really starts addressing the challenges in our own lives. I think sometimes we sit back and we're like, God, hey, hey, solve this problem. Uh, fix this issue that's going on in my life. But see, it's only when we really start to give and we get involved that God begins to address the things that we really want him to address. Because now we're on a track where he can speak to us because we're, we're submitted to his will. And so just a, a little advertisement uh, to being connected to what God is doing in the world. Hey, today, uh, and just we're not going to be too long in this text today. Unfortunately, uh, we're finishing First Peter. Ah. Okay, that's what I want to hear as a pastor. <laughs> yeah, thanks for doing that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watching you. Yeah, hey, we're finishing First Peter. We're going to jump just kind of quickly through this. Um, as we've gone through First Peter, what he's laid out is that life presents a lot of unexpected turns. I mean, are you with me on that? Life has a lot of unexpected events. You know, and sometimes I think we try to, anticipate whether what's happening is bad or good. You know, you, you see something that happens in life and you think, you know, this is a horrible thing. And yet, two weeks later, it becomes a really great thing because God uses it. Or something really great happens and then two weeks later, you realize, you know what, that really wasn't, wasn't so great. That our, our vision for life and how we see things when unexpected events come, whether that's suffering or persecution in the Christian sense or just the normal flow of life where you run into obstacles that you can't overcome, that we don't often see the, how God could use them. And so what Peter does is he, he opens our eyes to, to look beyond ourselves and what we need and to ask the question, you know, how is God at work? And that in my struggles in life, God isn't using these things to crush me. Rather, what God wants to do is to take all those challenges that we face and to use them to refine us. To actually, if you could say, to purify the joy in my life so that my joy isn't driven by me. You know, joy is the one thing if you chase after it, it's like a rabbit. You'll never catch it. Do you know that? The one thing you will never catch is joy. Joy always comes in the pursuit of something else. And in the pursuit of God, God wants to fill us with joy. But as you go through challenges, you may say, you know, how does this event how is this event in any way joyful? And how could God use what's going on in my life in a way that strengthens me instead of crushes me? Well, that's what this text is getting into. And so today, just quickly, we're going to kind of look on three things. Uh, the first thing we're going to pick up is there is a quality that all of us need to carry. That as we go through life's unexpected events, hardships, grief, pain, sorrow, obstacles, that there is a a quality, a character quality he wants us to carry. But second, there's a danger that we need to avoid. And then finally, there's a promise that we need to embrace. So he says a character quality we have to carry, a danger to avoid, and then finally a promise to embrace. 
I think one of the challenges we face when the unexpected comes is that we turn to ourselves. I think we assume, sometimes people ask us questions even, and you assume you're supposed to have the answer. I mean, are you like that? Somebody asks you a question, and you think, okay, I need to respond. And I think when suffering and hardship comes, we often turn internal. We think, I've got the answer. But what Peter's telling us is when we find ourselves in a place of weakness, it's to remind us that's where we honestly are, are always. We're always in a place of weakness because we weren't created to be strong. We were created to submit to the glory of God. We're created to be with God. You know, I think our universe is constantly reminding us just how weak we are. You know, uh, life is constantly showing you how fragile you are, we are, but our culture wants to convince us of the opposite. Now, while creation is showing us our brokenness, our culture says, hey, you're big enough, you're strong enough, you've got what it takes. But when you look at life and the challenges of life, life's constantly saying, hey, you, you don't have enough. There are things that we can't comprehend. Why would these events happen and how should I respond? Well, that's why he says in verse 6, the thing you need is the thing that you don't think you need. You need humility. You need humility. Notice, notice how he describes it, picking it up in verse 6, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. What that means is that he may strengthen you. There are things that we turn to to find strength. And I don't know what those places are for you. It could be comfort. It could be food. It could be success, working out, that feeling of accomplishment. But when tragedies come and struggles enter our lives, there's places we go to to find strength. And he's saying, if you'll find your place of weakness, you'll find that God is your strength. You hear me? If you'll recognize, and by weakness, I'm not saying that you don't have abilities, that you don't have intellect, and there's not things that you can do. There are things we have to do, but with God, blessed are the poor in spirit. Meaning, blessed are those who spiritually understand that they're dependent upon God. And so when these things come, he says the place we've got to go to is to humility. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself. You've probably heard this. It's thinking of yourself less. Because humility connects us to the grace of God. You may look in verse 5. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you humble yourself, it opens you, yourself up to the strength and to the grace of God. Pride, on the other hand, pride, what it does is it opposes the grace of God. And, and when unexpected situations come into our lives, pride easily sets in. And I'll tell you how pride sets in is that we trust in our own resources. You know, we turn to ourselves, to our wisdom, and to what we have, and, and learning how to respond. Instead of asking for wisdom, right, we just kind of go out into life. And so he says what humility does is it causes God to pour his grace into our lives. Look at that in verse 5. God opposes the proud. But instead, he gives grace to the humble. Pride blocks the grace of God in your life. And when you're going through challenges, that's what you need. Now, let me explain what that means. 
there's two ways that pride blocks grace. On the one hand, you may think, you know, I just don't need God. Well, that blocks the grace of God. That's pride. It's not recognizing that I am not the creator. I'm a part of the creation, and I need God speaking to my life. And so on the one hand, you may say, hey, God, I got this. Or you may just not utilize his resources and say, hey, I've I've got this under control. I'm not going to go to the word. I'm not going to share my struggles with people that love you and can pray for me because that would be an awkward place to be. Instead, I'm just going to rest in myself and try to deal with this on my own. Well, that's pride. And it's saying to God, I got this. Or on the flip side, instead of saying, hey, I'm strong enough, I got this, you may say, well, God, you have no reason to give me anything. You may go to the inferior side. Instead of feeling superior, you may feel inferior and say, you know, God, it's my fault. I deserve what's happening to me. Or or maybe what's going on, God, I couldn't imagine. I haven't paid attention to you in 10 years. Are you suddenly going to come into my life when there's just a challenge? The answer is, if you have humility, yes. And so in pride, we push God away on the one hand that we don't think we need him, or on the other hand, we don't think he would respond to us. But in both cases, what you're hiding from yourself is exactly what you need when you go through the challenge. You need grace. Now, what's grace? Well, grace is most clearly revealed in the gospel. Now, the gospel is the story of what God has done for us, and that through Christ, faith in Jesus... We are now adopted as the children of God. It's a gift of his grace. And grace says to me, Jason, the reason the Father loves you isn't because you have your life together. It's because Jesus had it together. And what he wants me to do is to exchange my untogether life for his together life. And grace says to me, no matter what's going on, whether yesterday was a great day and whether I'm using all my resources for him or not, My identity isn't in what I do. It's in what God's done for me. I'm a child of God. I'm loved and accepted by the Father. My future inheritance is secure. God loves me and cares for me. Now, my life may not be communicating that to me, but by faith in grace, I've got to rest in who I am, not in what I hear the world saying that I am. You with me? What pride does is it keeps you from the grace of God. And see, that is exactly what we need when we go through challenges. We need God's grace poured out into our lives because pride blocks the grace of God. That's what he's teaching us. Pride blocks the grace of God. But second, pride leads to anxiety. You may not realize this, but the reason we become anxious is because we're trusting in our own wisdom. We think we can see. You know how uh, salvation is described as I once was blind and now I see. Salvation is about getting a new perspective. God exists. I'm just a, a small part of this and I can only see, and certainly in Evergreen, you can see, I don't know, half a mile before you see a mountain. We can't see over the mountains. We can't see in Texas, maybe we can see 10 miles in the distance. But that's my trajectory of life. That's where my wisdom ends. Ten miles the east, ten miles north, south, that's all I can see. And yet God sees all things. He sees how they work together. Who am I to say to the one that sees all things, I see better than you? Well, that's what we do when we ignore his grace. When we don't allow him to speak into our lives, we're saying, hey, God, I got it. I got it. I can, I can see what's coming. I got it. I know, what's, I know what to do. What we're saying to God is that I don't trust you. 
And he says in verse 7, that leads to anxiety. Look at verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand. It's God with the power, so that in proper time, he's going to be the one that raises you up, not you. You see that? Because if you don't, here's the challenge. Cast all your anxieties on him because you, he cares for you. When we rest in pride, it leads to anxiety because essentially anxiety says, God, you don't care for me. I mean, that's what verse 7, that's how I define it. If you look at it, cast your cares on him. Cast your anxiety on him. Why? He cares for you, which means if I'm anxious, I don't believe God cares for me. And so what does it mean to cast your anxieties on him? It means to set your anxieties next to his love. Casting your anxieties, actually, it's, it's a past tense verb, which means it's something we really should do once, but we find ourselves doing over and over again. That what he wants us to do when challenges come is just say, God, this is a mess. Have you read the Psalms? That's kind of how they start. I mean, it's the cliff notes. All the Psalms start, God, this is a mess. I'm a mess. People are a mess. This doesn't make sense. Have you turned your face away from me? Have you, have you turned your love away from me? I don't understand what's going on. Have you ever felt that way? Well, listen, feel that way in God's presence, not in yours. That's the difference between someone who's pursuing God and someone who's not. It's not that we don't feel anything different. We feel the same despair others feel. But the difference is we take our anxiety and we go into the presence of God and we yell. Go read Psalm 88. It's one of the darkest psalms and and prayers. And they're crying out, God, where are you? Darkness is my best friend. Everyone is turned away from me. But see, God understands the despair of the human heart, and he welcomes it into his presence. I don't know about you, that's amazing. God understands the despair of the human heart. The only thing he cannot accept, the only thing he resists is pride. What's pride? I refuse to share with you what's going on in my life. He already knows but it's refusal to invite God into that pain. Because see, once you get into his presence, he'll, he'll correct you. Don't worry about your prayers being correct. Because we all have children. When your kids come to you, do you want them to come correctly? Or you just want them to come? I mean, come on, right? When my kid is in trouble, I don't care about the language as much. Now, I will afterwards. When we straighten this thing up, I'll convict him. But what I am concerned about is my child coming to me. Well, where, where do we learn the nature of a father? We learn it from God. He is our heavenly father. And in Luke 15, it's a father who waits for us and runs to us when we come to him. And so what he's saying is, if you hold on to that anxiety, what you're, what you're doubting is the love of God. And he's telling us, pray, cast your cares. You know, don't hold on to them. You know, when you hold on to them, psychologists, physicians will tell you that anxiety actually physically tears you down. There's a physiological effect. There's a psychological effect. Well, listen, there's a spiritual effect. And if you address the spiritual side and unburden yourself with your creator, it may start to address the physical side and the psychological side. He wants us to cast those cares on. And so he's telling us there's a quality we need to carry. When the unexpected comes, it's humility. It's humility. And humility is admitting, God, I need you. That's it. God, I need you. 
Right now, I need you. And sometimes what humility needs as well is some love with some skin on it. Are you with me on that? Meaning it's not enough sometimes to communicate that to God. You've got to communicate that to God's people. And so he says we need humility. But second, there's a danger to avoid. Now, I find it really fascinating that in this passage in verse, um, verse 8 and 9, it's the first time in the entire book where Peter mentions the devil. Now, he's talked about persecution. And in his church, people were literally dying, being uh, put on stakes and, and lit up at night. They were being set out, and wild animals were ripping them apart. And yet he doesn't use doesn't throw the devil in to describe those events. You know, when he describes the devil, he brings him in when he's dealing with my pride and my anxiety. You see that? When does he bring the devil in? When, when he's talking about the pride that I struggle with and the anxiety that I feel. Why? I think what he's saying is pride and anxiety open you up to the influence of the demonic. You with me on that? So, so look at verse 8. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. What's our response? Resist him, firm in the faith, meaning firm in what you believe, firm in that God cares for me. Anxiety, reason I become anxious, I don't believe God cares. What does it mean to resist the devil? It means to stand in the fact that God cares for me. Because the power of the demonic is not in the exorcist movies, It's not up at the Stanley Motel. I checked that out. Didn't see it there. That's where we love to go, the things that creak. The power of the demonic, Jesus is pretty clear. It's in the power of the lie. Do you know that? You don't need to fear the things that creak at night. But the reason things creak at night is the power of the lie. He says the father, the the devil is the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brothers. Well, what happens when you go through unexpected events? I believe a lot of lies. At least I do. Only one up here, but I believe a lot of crazy stuff. I mean, I can't tell you how my mind works. You don't want to know. Well, I'll share a little bit. You know, sometimes a visitor will come and they'll not come back and, you know, I'll think, wow, I must be a loser. You ever felt that way? Please say yes. <laughs> yeah. Something doesn't go right. Maybe it's, it's not in church, right? It's, it's, it's a situation and something happens and you attach that situation to a past situation. And in that past situation, maybe you were a dork, but you're not a dork today. And that person just had a bad day. I mean, their cat got run over. It has nothing to do. What's that? That's pride right? It's pride. I think that this person's rejecting me, which means I'm thinking about me. When you do that, that's a lie, and it allows a foothold, meaning that you've now believed something that you're acting on. What do you need? The truth shall set you. You guys already know it, right? There's something we need to avoid, What we need to avoid is pride, anxiety. And what that means is submitting to God. And when those thoughts come in saying, God, would you speak truth? Sometimes we have to often get into his word. 
You know, usually when God speaks truth in my life, it's because of the words that I have hidden in my heart. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Why do we sin? Because of the power of the lie. We think sin is better than obedience. And so he's saying resist. Now he says resist by standing firm in what? In the faith. And faith is saying, hey, this is what I know to be true. Now, life is saying this isn't true, right? And your heart's saying this isn't true. And your mind's saying, maybe your sister's saying, you need to turn her off. This isn't true. All these things in life are saying, hey, these events happen, and this is what they mean. Well, what you need to do is not try to figure out what is true. That's not your job. Your job is to say, Father, would you show me what's true? And then you maybe need to bring other people and say, would, would you pray for me that I'd understand the truth in this situation? Because it's the truth that sets us free. We have to submit ourselves, though, and be humble enough to recognize I'm in a dangerous place. And whether it's because of pride or anxiety, I'm pushing the grace of God out because I'm allowing lies to come into my heart. And see, those lies are powerful. I'll tell you, lies are powerful. They affect us emotionally. They affect us relationally, and ultimately, when they begin to affect our relationship to God, that's demonic, because that, by far, has the greatest influence in your life are the lies that we believe. And so he says, as you go through unexpected events, you've got to resist. You've got to resist by standing firm in the faith. And then finally, he's going to say there's a promise we need to hold on to. Okay, I want to read this real quick. There's a this was so helpful. There was a book that I read uh, years and years ago. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor. And it was written by this gentleman, William Gurnall. And he said it this way, and I loved how he captured uh, the role the demonic plays in our lives. And he says, if men hear a noise at night and they cry, the devil, the devil, and they run for their life, but they carry the devil around in their very hearts all day. For if you have a proud spirit, or if you have resentment, or if you have anxiety, you're under his power. He's setting you in a precarious place. My friends, my friends, why don't you run from your pride crying? The devil, the devil, why don't you run from your resentments and your grudges and your bitterness yelling, the devil, the devil, run from them, he says in terror. You see, the power, that's where the power is. It's in the power of the lie. But what's the promise? In verse 10, he describes the promise that he has given us. And I love, again, really in verse 10, he begins with grace. After you've suffered a little while, who is your God? Bergen Park Church, who is your God? As you go through hardships and unexpected events, your God is the God of all grace. 1 Corinthians says that he is the God of comfort, and the Father of mercies who comforts us in our affliction with the comfort so that we may comfort others. Who is your God? The first question you've got to ask when you're going through challenges, who is God? Peter says, listen, after you suffer, know he is the God of grace. And notice what he's doing. He's basically, in verse 10, 11, summarizing the entire book. And he says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Notice those words. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
when the unexpected comes, where do you go to be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established? Ice cream is a good place to go, but it won't do it. There's always a bottom to the bowl. And you got to deal with your feelings. Just going to work, it's not going to do it. Because you know what? One day work won't be enough. And, and can I be honest? Going to your spouse isn't even enough. Because they're not supposed to be the God in your life. There is only one. And he says, notice, as suffering comes, it leads to glory. As suffering comes, it leads to glory. That's the life of Jesus. The promise of Jesus is that suffering is not the end. Unexpected is not the end. What was Jesus? He was humble. Blessed are the meek they shall inherit the earth. Jesus was humble. What does it mean to be humble? His identity was in the Father, not in what you said to him. You notice that? He could have come back with a lot of one-liners, you know, turn somebody into a newt. That would have been cool. You know, just blast someone with a lightning strike. But he knows that would be pride. That's not to walk in his identity. His purpose was to reveal the Father because he said, I am the Father in one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He knew his identity. He humbled himself before God. And he said, you know, everything I do, every word I, sh I share with you is I've received from my father. I don't say anything but what my father has told me to say. You know, that's the same thing we're supposed to do. Jesus had the word of God. He had the identity from God. He had the power of God and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying here, as you go through these challenges, trust that God's going to exalt you. Don't try to lift yourself up. I think I get tired lifting myself up. You know, I'm only 190 pounds, but emotionally, I'm a whole lot more. Relationally, I weigh a whole lot more. Financially, gosh, that sometimes feels like a weight. What's he saying? Jason, cast your cares on me. I love you. I sent my son, Jesus Christ. And if he did not spare his own son, church, why would he not also with him freely give us all things? Why don't we trust him? How much more does he have to do? How much more does he have to do that we, we won't stop and say, God, would you give me your interpretation on this? Would you show me who you are? Hey, I've taken too much time. I got a little excited. But we're going to celebrate communion, and, and uh, we're going to end with that. So the worship team, I'm going I'm to tell you guys we're going to end on that. So, but would you come up? Uh, those are going to lead us. Um, those are going to serve us communion. And let me say to you, this communion table is open to you if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you desire to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, however that has worked out, uh, the table's open, but I gotta, I gotta share something. When we approach our Heavenly Father, He wants us to come as His children, but He wants us to come in humility. Now, what does that mean? It means that we have to come admitting that we need Him. That's all it means. It means that we come admitting that we need Him, that we need His forgiveness. And so, some of you today may have something you hold against someone else. And Scripture says, hey, don't come to the table until you ask for forgiveness or you go to your brother. Maybe that's where you are. And for others of us, as we've talk, spoken today, there may be things in your heart that are just pressing and challenges that you're facing. And what I'd encourage you to do is just stay where you are and lift them up and say, Father, I don't know what to do about this. I, I, I don't feel like I have the wisdom, the energy, the strength. I don't even want to address it. But, Lord, I'm going to cast my cares on you because I know you care for me. 
And would you set your cares alongside the love of God and allow the lesser of the two to fall? And by faith, say, Father, this is where I want to stand. Are you with me? And so as we share communion today, take your time. What we're going to do is when you are ready, there are places uh, to go. Gerda is in the back. If you do not want to get up, you can raise your hand and she will see you, right, Gerda? And uh, come to you. Or you can come down to the front and meet one of us here. Hey, let's celebrate together what God has done.